Welcome to the SL Advisors broadcast. Nothing we say should be construed as a sale of securities, which can only be made through the relevant prospectus. And so with that, let's get started. I'm Simon Lack, and I'm sitting here alongside my partner, Henry Hoffman. We've been working together almost 10 years, and Henry and I have many, many wonderful conversations about energy infrastructure and the opportunities and, and the pitfalls. And much of what we talk about winds up in our blog one way or another. But we just thought it'd be also interesting to do a podcast to just chat about some of the things that we've discovered over the years. And so one of the issues we stumbled on many years ago was this comparison of MLPs with hedge funds. And Henry, as I always say, is responsible for most of the good ideas and none of the bad ones, had one of his not uncommon, most insightful comments when he compared MLPs and hedge funds. And so, Henry, why don't you just tell the listeners what your thinking was and and how it became clear to you that there was this connection between the two? Uh, Thanks, Simon. It's one of the things that we saw the similarities with hedge funds Around the time, I think this was end of 2011 or in 2011, when you were writing the hedge fund mirage. So we were talking about hedge funds a lot. And we were also seeing the structure, particularly with the IDRs and uh, corporate governance that gave the general partner all the, essentially all the control over underlying MLPs, the similarities with hedge funds. And hedge funds, they typically aim for, if you can do 12% annually on assets, you know, you take the 2% and fees off the top the two and the two and 20, and then 20% of the profits. So 12% returns come down to this kind of 8% return. Uh, a lot of money in hedge funds, you know, trillions of dollars and really acceptable to investors. So we looked at the, at the time we were looking at the asset class, and this is when Kendra Morgan, a large GP was coming public saying, this is very similar to a hedge fund. You have an asset base that you can do 12% return on invested capital, or they promise 12% return on invested capital. Um, and then you'd have these IDRs where as you increase the distributable cash flow, they take an increasing percentage. We always talk about it similar to the tax code. So let's talk about those IDRs and what's the link between IDRs and and what are IDRs for people that don't know and how do they relate to the fees that hedge fund managers charge? Yeah, so IDRs are incentive distribution rights. They're very, it's a very unique structure to the MLP, but essentially it says, in the MLP structure, it says we're going to give you income and we're going to pay out a large distribution and to incentivize us doing that, we get rewarded as we increase our distribution to you. And so IDRs are set as you reach certain thresholds, the GP that owns these IDRs would get a larger and larger take. So now we use is similar to uh, taxes. As you reach higher income levels, you pay a higher percentage of your of your taxes. And the highest IDRs are, are 50%, to the highest tax brackets are around 40%. And so they get a larger and larger take as they increase these distributions to investors. And the distributions are largely based on a measure defined in the partnership agreement. So it's a very loose and it gets a lot of attention today, but they say, you know, the distributions can be paid roughly in line with distributable cash flow. So the more they pay in distributions, the more the general partner receives as an IDR, as an incentive. And we found that very similar to the hedge fund structure of the two and 20. The more profits, higher your return, hedge funds take that 20%. So the bigger the MLP, the bigger the IDR payments to the to the manager, to the general partner, just like as a hedge fund gets bigger, the hedge fund manager gets more money. But bigger isn't always necessarily better for the MLP investors themselves, is it? No, and often like hedge funds, bigger is not better. There's a certain amount of capital you can put in your best ideas and you have to continue going down the line. 
the difference with hedge funds is you have to go out and continue to market and raise incremental capital put to work. It's a little easier for the MLP structure, which they could just go out and issue equity. So LPs, they, they constantly want to raise more money. The easiest way to do this is through acquisitions, right? You just issue your currency to buy in another MLP, or if you can get their GP stake as well. And then you acquire another MLP the size of your underlying MLP, you've doubled the size of your hedge fund. And you receive the same percentage take on all those additional shares paying distributions. So this really incentivized very aggressive behavior in the industry from the GPs. So we were looking at that, oh, it's very similar to hedge funds. And then we saw you know, where the management teams had their money. And we used to have a slide in our presentations that would show 30 to one or 40 to one times the management teams would own 30, 40 times the amount they'd own in the LP, in the GP stake. So they concentrated their money. They knew what was the right side to be on uh, in that trade. And uh, you know, similar to the hedge fund manager, they don't get rich from the returns of their hedge fund. They get rich from their GP stake. And I remember when I was sitting there and we were chatting about this and you made this point, and I've been investing in hedge funds for, for a long time, you know, over 25 years, and been investing in MLPs for a long time. And then you brought up this connection between the two, the analogy, and we talked about it. And of course, at that point, we decided, and we talked about it for certainly some days, if not weeks, but we concluded that we wanted to be invested where the managers were. In other words, we wanted to be invested in the, in the hedge fund managers or the general partners uh, rather than the MLPs themselves. And of course, that led to a, a significant switch for us in our investing approach, which had very good results. What about the governance? Let's talk about how do the rights of MLP investors compare with the rights of investors in other public equity companies? The, <laughs> the simple answer is they have no rights. It's all disclosed. The general partner, I mean, sometimes you can have a supermajority agreement, which they'd have some say so, but essentially the partnership agreement gives a lot of leeway for the GP to have full control, full control of the decision. They can decide you know, when the MLP buys something else, when they build assets, when they issue secondaries, there's accretive or dilutive, how much they pay in distributions, kind of regardless of their own fundamental performance, which then reflects their take of how much cash flows they can take away from that project. So they have, they have very few rights, similar to hedge fund investors. And the GP really has a lot of control. The unspoken or really spoken agreement, if you look at Rich, Rich Kender and this promise is made is, look, you know, we're going to increase your distribution over time and we get rewarded for that because you won't increase distributions and the stable tax deferred income that's growing over time. And we'll take a larger and larger take. But similar to a sponsor, the implied or stated thing was the sponsor would then cushion any downturn, right? So then you could take a less of a take. If they had to cut the distribution, the GPs, the IDRs would get hit twice as hard. Right. They were supposed to be, even though they were getting preferential economics, if business turned down, they were supposed to actually take the first hit too, right? That was not a guarantee, but some sort of expectation, right, on, on the part of the investors. Certainly, certainly. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't guaranteed. So it's not in the partnership agreement that they would do this. It was certainly implied and even been spoken by certain management teams that, yes, it's a sponsor. We'll take more and more of it, but we're here that you have us as a backdrop. In some ways, if you had an entity that had assets, we drop down assets to you. We get a share of that, pay out more cash flows. But if things turn down, then first the GP could give waivers if they maintain the distributions. But they were really promising that this income stream would continue to LPs and that the more risky slot was the GPs. They were supposed to be their guarantee. Now, of course, in recent years, many MLPs have undergone what they uh, quaintly call simplifications, which has often worked out pretty badly for the investors. But one consequence has been when they've combined the GP and the MLP, sort of like combining the hedge fund manager and the hedge fund, 
these IDRs, these special payments to the general partner have gone away. And you often said to me, there's nothing wrong with that structure. I mean, there's what, $3 trillion invested in hedge funds that pay hedge fund managers egregious amounts of money every year. There's uh, more trillions of dollars in private equity with that same sort of structure. And so there's nothing necessarily wrong with the structure. And yet in midstream energy infrastructure, it really has, for the most part, gone away. Why do you think that is? It was abused. People looked at it you know, and preferred, you may not grow with a company, so you wouldn't want them to necessarily take a lot of risk. You're higher in the capital structure. Same way bondholders may not be aligned with what equity holders want. MLPs were treated like a security by management teams in order to increase their IDRs and, and GP stake. And the underlying notion was legit if there was more protections that said, okay, we will be the first ones. Our cash flows will be hit first if it needs to in order to maintain your distribution. What we realized in 2014-15 is even if these companies did cut their distributions, the GPs wouldn't cut theirs. They'd first merge the two or take out the IDRs at a premium before cutting it because the IDR payments would go away if you cut the distributions dramatically. And so what you saw was when companies wanted to continue spending capital, continue getting bigger, they chose to simplify in and then either cut their distributions after their IDRs were taken out or aligned and continue spending capital. So they did not choose to cut their capital programs, start shrinking and maintain and say, well, let's keep up this distribution to MLP holders that we've promised them. Across the board, they chose to continue to grow their interest or even simplify into a structure that then lower their cost of equity for the MLPs to continue growing. So the abuse really came because these MLP management teams had a lot of growth opportunities and the Shell Revolution certainly was the cause of that. And so they needed to reinvest a lot of money, which means they needed to raise a lot of money. And they decided to do that. And that was what really turned out to be the abuse. I guess they could have decided to grow less, done fewer projects and put less pressure on the overall structure. But in almost all cases, we know, of course, they chose the, the growth over preserving those distributions. Absolutely. The MLP structure, it originally starts with, yes, if you have stable, predictable, and visible cash flow streams, it's a decent asset. It says, look, these cash flows will grow over time, and you have a decent amount of certainty around that to pay out large cash flows. The MLP industry, as it really picked up, and in the layering index, the large index people are benchmarking to, and what AMJ, one of the original funds in the space, was indexed to was an MLP structure. So it wouldn't matter what assets came in. You could put in depleting trusts, which are these upstream companies. And then it became this yield-based thing. You pay out a yield. And then what is that yield going to grow at? And you continue to raise ever-increasing amount of equities in order to increase the size of your company and the size of these IDR cash flows. Right. So go. Yeah. So I'll say it, it, got, it got abused in many ways. It got abused in probably overpaying, raising these distributions faster, issuing lots of equity, which they received their share of each additional earnings from that equity. They got abused in putting in the wrong assets that really shouldn't be in an MLP structure yep. for yep. yield. And then it got abused on the exit when they simplified them out by always buying in the IDRs before cutting the distribution, which would make the IDRs worth a lot less. But it was predictable. You could read these agreements, see where the management teams have their money, and you can make the bet You know they're going to choose themselves over the MLP holders. Yeah. And of course, the one result is that now there are probably thousands of investors uh, who will say that they were kindred meaning that they were former investors in Kinder Morgan Partners, the MLP, before the founder, Rich Kinder, led a simplification, which every Kinder Morgan Partners investor I've ever met would regard as very adverse. Although a lot of the GP MLP structures have combined, there are still MLPs out there 
that pay IDRs, typically to a general partner that's privately owned or part of some bigger organization, and we continue to avoid those. So ever since Henry had this insight that a MLP looked like a hedge fund, one of the things that still persists with us today is that we're never going to be on the other side of paying IDRs to the general partner. Anyway, I hope that uh, that podcast is interesting to our listeners and uh, we'll be doing more in the future on specific topics. And so thank you for joining us today and we look forward to chatting to you sometime in the future. 